Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, and if you don't know Connor, you know, he doesn't really stand out. He doesn't get up. He's actually on his way to, uh, thank you, sir. He's actually on his way to, on vacation right now, and so I'm sure he's glad he didn't have to sit here in the room and watch it, but his servant heart and his story is so powerful. And before we start today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And just take a moment in the quietness and the stillness just to ask that God would speak to you. Father, it's so incredible that you heard every heart cry out to you. Lord, just as we sang, your presence it's where we want to be. We want to see you move. Lord, I pray that today as your word is preached that Jesus would be at the center. Father, that you would speak through me. Lord, that we at Journey would be a church who are known for being with Jesus and filled with the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, like Dan said, I'm Will. I'm Journey Kids Director here. I'm kind of new, so you might be like wondering who is this bald guy uh, on stage. I do see a lot of our normal audience out there in Journey Kids, but today I'm not going to wear a crazy costume or do some funny games. Um, even though some of you might be like, oh, the kids guys preaching, maybe puppets or flannel boards are coming out. No, none of that today. But um, you know, what, what's cool is, I love that just the last few weeks we've been in here, uh, we haven't had to wear masks. Again, if you are wearing a mask and feel like you still need to, look, you're welcome here. But man, it's just been freeing to be able to see everybody's face. It's been freeing to kind of, what did we want when this whole pandemic started? We wanted to get back to normal, right? But we had to reevaluate things, and there's some things about it that I like slowing down. But there's one thing I did miss. And we got to do it the other night, celebrating my mother-in-law's birthday, is we got to go eat hibachi, like, in the restaurant. Like, sit down. And, and you know, like, I've been doing that since I was a kid. I love it. Maybe you don't like hibachi, but do we really go for the food? Eh, maybe. We go to watch them do the crazy stuff, right, and throw the eggs in our mouth. And what do they always cook first? They bring you the salad. They bring you the soup, these little appetizers, right? What do they always cook first? Interaction. Rice. The fried rice. And I mean, this is like whole tub of butter put on the grill, and they cook it real good, and it's so good, especially the yum-yum sauce. You just mix it up. But there's one thing that rice does, is it makes us feel so filled that we barely can eat the rest of our food. Or if you're like me, you just eat so quick, you just wait for the pain later, that you know you're gonna be so filled up. And actually one of my uh, sister-in-laws gave us good advice. Instead of getting like the rice, ask for double vegetables, and then you feel better when you're done. 
But if you can tell by looking at me, I like to eat and I like rice. But what happens when we eat all that, and we, we might feel bad that night, we kind of feel bloated, all that rice expands, right, all that salt, all that butter. But the next day, we know we're going to wake up, and we're going to be like, okay, what's for breakfast? What's for lunch? Because our body constantly needs nutrition and to be filled. And so, as we said several times today, we are finishing up Proving Ground, talking about God inviting us and providing And today I want us to know this, that God invites us into his mission. And we're going to see today that his ultimate provision is his spirit to indwell and empower our lives for his purpose. So if you'll turn, we'll be in Acts chapter 4 today. We're going to be uh, staying there mostly for today. And we see there in chapter 1, I mean, verse 1, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching and the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So, we got a little context of what's going on here. Peter and John are, are teaching the people about Jesus, but there's a little more going on. We know this is after the resurrection. This is sometime uh, very soon after Pentecost, which if you read the book of Acts, that's where it starts. The Holy Spirit comes, and the people start telling others about Jesus, the disciples and those who followed Jesus, and all of these people get saved. And then here... Just a normal day, they were going up to the temple, just like we come to worship. They were going to worship for their prayer time, and they saw a lame man who they'd probably seen before. And he asked asked Peter and John if they could help him, and they basically told him, he's like, I don't have any silver or gold for you, which wouldn't that be a bummer if you were that dude? Like, can you help me? I don't got money. I don't got food. Then Peter looks at him and says, but in the name of Jesus, get up. And the guy gets up, and he can walk. And he had been lame for over 40 years. And you can imagine what that guy did then. He sat back down. No. He ran into the temple and worshiped with the people, and everyone was amazed. So then John and Peter kind of seized the opportunity and began telling people that, hey, We didn't just do this for this man. No, we did this to proclaim Jesus. And so that's why they're kind of getting in jail. This is why the religious people, the Sadducees, who really, there's two groups, don't want to get bogged down. There's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And yeah, the kid's song is rocking in my head right now. The Sadducees are Sadducee and the Pharisees aren't Pharisee. But anyway... The Sadducees didn't really believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in resurrection at the end. They didn't really believe in resurrection at all. And so them preaching that Jesus is the resurrection from the dead, that he can give life, they're like, whoa, this is not right. We got to do something. So they locked him up. And it says they put him in jail until the next day because it was evening, which this contradicts what they did to Jesus, holding an illegal trial through the night. But here they wait until the next day. But I love... What verse 4 says, but many who heard the message believed. 
So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, the book of Acts is written by Luke, and really he's kind of putting, it's really like one long book. He's got the Gospel of Luke, which is like the Acts of Jesus, and then this kind of second edition, Acts, which we think Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing this, and he's just giving us the total of men. But what we see throughout the book of Acts is when the father gets saved, the whole household gets saved. So we're looking at exponential growth for the church in just a matter of days. Because that's how powerful the message we have is. But they move on. So what happens the next day? Acts 4 verse 5. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, so, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And here's what they asked. By what power or what name did you do this? Again, the evidence is there. The man's probably standing in the room who was lame, who couldn't walk for over 40 years, is there standing among them. This great thing has happened, and they're worried about by what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a unique phrase because I talked a second ago. We've already seen Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down, this loud noise. They had fires of tongs above their head. You can read in Luke. At the end of Luke, it says that Jesus breathed on the disciples and they had the Holy Spirit. So what's this idea of, of Peter then filled with the Spirit? I already thought he had the Holy Spirit. Well, one of these things that Peter is doing is what Jesus has already talked about in Luke 12. Verses 11 and 12, he told them this. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So the, he told them, wait, don't prepare a defense. No, the Holy Spirit's going to speak through you when persecution comes. This is happening. So Peter filled with the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll be honest, growing up Southern Baptist, we didn't talk a lot about the Spirit. And if you did, it was kind of scary. Like, ooh, we don't want to get in that. We don't want to be like them over there. But I think by not teaching about the Holy Spirit, we've neglected to see how God moves, especially today. From since the time of Pentecost all the way until now. And the Holy Spirit being God himself, Jesus says this about the Spirit in John 15. But I will send you the advocate, the Spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. The Spirit will come, and its whole point, the Spirit's whole point is to point to Jesus. And so we have to ask this question. We know that if we are followers of Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's like what we call indwelling or the being indwelt with the Spirit. That means that all those who follow Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in them. If you're a Jesus follower, 
You have the Holy Spirit. So what's it talking about now, this filling, being filled? Ephesians 5, Paul writes it like this. So be very careful how you live. Do not live like the people who aren't wise. Live like people who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So don't be foolish. Instead, understand what the Lord wants. Don't fill yourselves up with wine, getting drunk that will lead to wild living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul is comparing and contrasting alcohol here, and we're not going to get in that whole thing, but the, the idea is this. What happens when we become intoxicated with alcohol? You lose your inhibitions, you lose what? Control. But also contrasting to be filled with the Spirit, Paul is saying we need to let the Spirit have control of our lives. But it goes even deeper. I'm not even going to try to like pronounce the Greek word because I'm not a Greek scholar by any means. But that word filled is actually a passive present imperative tense, which here's what it means. It's passive. That means you can't do the filling. Only God can. It's present, meaning it's ongoing. And imperative means it's a command. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in his book, Life in the Spirit. This is not a critical experience. This is a state or a condition in which we are always to live permanently. This is not something that we can just do. We have to ask to be filled with the Spirit. This is something that God does. A better way to read that, that passive present imperative tense, would be this, Paul saying, no, instead, be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that kind of sounds wordy, right? It might not translate well into English, but that's really what he's meaning is that we should be filled with the Spirit continually every day. And we see when we have this filled with the Spirit, and if you look in all of Acts, challenge you, go read Acts this week, you're on vacation, go check it out. Every time you see the words and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, a great proclamation of Jesus' name always follows. And so we see indwelt as all those who we all have followed Jesus, have the Holy Spirit, but to be filled is an empowering to proclaim Jesus boldly. You see, a spirit-filled life is one of boldness for Christ through surrender and obedience. Now, when we talk about boldness, this is not like a brash, harsh boldness. No, scriptural boldness, boldness in Jesus is one covered in humility that we know nothing good can come from us It all has to come from God. And so he goes on. What does Peter then say as he's filled with the Spirit? Acts 4, verse 8. And he said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Peter's like, guys, you're you're asking us why we did this? Like we're on trial for doing something good. They showed a man compassion. They met a physical need that was in front of them. 
which shows us this. If the spirit-filled life is one of boldness, we're going to see some different ways that we can live boldly. First is this. We can boldly love others made in his image. We can boldly love others made in his image. They met that physical need. They loved the man where he was at. But then, what did that open up? By meeting this need, by people seeing he was healed, praising happening, it opened up a chance for them to share the gospel and share who Jesus is. And so he goes on to say this. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Journey, we have a bold message. And this is what kind of separates Christianity differently from every other religion to say. Is that we proclaim salvation. Yes, it's, it's a way. But salvation is also a person. The only way that we can be saved to have that hope is by turning and trusting to Jesus. Now, this statement might shock some of you, but if we read the, what some of you might call the Old Testament, I like to call it the First Testament, because just because it's old doesn't mean it's outdated and we can't use it, can't learn from God. No, God's given it to us, right? So we have the First Testament and the New Testament, what we're reading from today. But get this, salvation is the same in the First Testament as it is in the New Testament. You're like, but hold up, you just said salvation is only in Jesus. And the answer is yes. But we look at the Old Testament prophets, we look at Abraham, we look at these people. If you go read Hebrews chapter 11, what saved them? Their faith. Their faith in the one true God and their faith and hope that they knew he was going to send the Messiah, the anointed one, one day. And that was their hope. Now, this wasn't like some little fairy tale hope. No, they knew and trusted that God would keep his promise. So here's something other boldly we can do is we can boldly share what Jesus has done and is doing. And that might kind of scare you a little bit. You might be like, whoa, I don't really know how to share my faith. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But I love what happens next. Acts 4, 13 through 15. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note. See, these guys, unschooled, untrained, didn't mean that they weren't trained. We know that several of the disciples were fishermen. Some were tax collectors. They had other jobs. They were trained. But what this is talking about, being unschooled, these guys didn't have specific theological, biblical training like the Sadducees and Pharisees had. These guys didn't go to seminary. Now we have to ask the question, is higher learning, is seminary important? Yes. 
Okay, it's special. It's good that we have the ability to go learn more. But here's the danger of that. That intellect without transformation is just head knowledge. And Christ wants us, our intellect, to become with transformation to be a life lived for him. But they were unschooled. They were ordinary, just like us. But what was different about them? Here's what it says. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Don't we want that said of us? I can tell you in my life, in my marriage, my kids and my wife, and we can tell when I've been with Jesus. And I can tell when they've been with Jesus. Some of you are nudging your spouse right now. You can tell when someone has been with Jesus because they act different. They're bold, they're humble, loving. And this can go for any of us. Whether you are the parent and need that little extra patience with your children. This can be, you can meet with Jesus even if you're just that single mom. You're like, I'm barely getting through my day. There's no way I'm going to have some extra training or time to go to school for this stuff. But we can all take time to meet with Jesus, spending time in his word, but also spending time in prayer and letting God speak to us. Because here's the thing. If you don't hear anything else today, this is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to take away, that God wants to fill the ordinary to empower them to do the extraordinary. God wants to use you. God wants to use journey in the churches in Jonesboro, just the ordinary, everyday people to do something extraordinary. Let's continue Acts chapter 4, 16. So after they realized they had met with Jesus, that they couldn't do anything, they were said nothing because the man healed was standing before them. So they ordered Peter and John to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. I'm kind of get a little insider look at what was going on behind the curtain. They say this, what are we going to do with these men? They asked, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They don't even say Jesus' name. And then they called them back in and they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. See here, this is where persecution of the church began. But it didn't come from the government. It came from the religious establishment, those who had power. And they told them, hey, you can do all the good deeds. You can heal all the people you want. Just don't talk about Jesus. And here's Peter and John's reply. And he replied this. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. As I said, we can boldly share what Jesus has done and is doing, and that might scare some of you. 
But let's be honest, when Jesus really shows up, when the Spirit moves and we are changed and we see God moving, we can't help but tell others. It's only natural, right? When a new restaurant opens up and it's good, what do we want to do? Tell people, you need to eat here. Or a good, well, they just open back up, right? You miss going to movies. But when we watch a movie, I guess streaming on our uh, services or shows, binging, when we watch something good, we're like, ooh, this was powerful. This was really entertaining. What do we want to do? We want to tell people about it. The same can be said for our faith. I guess I should say this. The same should be said for our faith. That it should change us so much that we can't help but share. See, not only can we boldly share Jesus, but we also have to spend time with him. See, think about this in your life. I've had restaurants, I've said shows and TVs, but what's something you really love to talk about? We do this with sports as well. I'm super pumped for today because it's a no-lose situation for me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the SEC Baseball Championship. Tennessee versus Arkansas. So I'm a big Tennessee fan, but also my wife's an Arkansas fan. So really, it's a not-lose situation. I'm pretty excited about it. We get excited about things. We can't help but tell. It should be the same with what Jesus has done. I mean, just think back. If you're a follower of Jesus, when was your most excited time? I would probably say that first few days of when you're saved, you remembered, oh, I just have to tell everybody about what God has done. Maybe even it's a time when you've been in a worship service or you've just seen God radically move in someone else's life. Or you've heard someone share their powerful story and you're like, I just can't keep this to myself. I have to go share it. So, what did Peter and John do? Well, they threaten them further. They, don't, they can't harm them. They don't want to put them in jail any longer because the man is standing right there and people are praising God that he was healed. So they don't want to start a riot. So they show some threats and are like, all right, if you do this again, we're going to throw you back in jail. Not the good deed, but talk about Jesus. So where do Peter and John go? After they let them go, they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, this being the people of God, the the New Testament church, probably wouldn't have been everybody, but they would have met in a house. This would have been probably the closest disciples, uh, some new followers coming, and they all meet together. And they raise their voices together in prayer to God. Now, we're going to read. This is just like one prayer is written down. But the idea here is that they all were talking to God together. Now, I know for some of you, 
you might think, oh man, it's so hard for me to pray out loud. I'm just, I'm not good at it. I don't know what to say. That's okay. But one thing we can do when others are praying, you can still raise your voice. You can say amen, or yes, Lord, or that's right, or right on, I don't know, whatever you want to say to to emphasize and show that you agree with what that person is praying. And in the act itself, you are praying together. See, Hebrews 4 tells us this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confessions. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. The early believers were in a time of need. They had just seen threat. But unlike we saw after Jesus' crucifixion, they didn't just hide in fear. No, now they gathered together and boldly prayed to God. Because we can boldly approach the one on the throne in prayer. Have you just thought about that? Like that, the God who created the universe, we can talk to and have an intimate, personal relationship. With that, here's what they pray. They said this, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. They're quoting a psalm that says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. This is where it turns. So they started out their prayer by praising God, talking about God's attributes, how amazing he is. Then they pray scripture back to God. But now we see they request something. Here's what they ask. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did they pray for a hedge of protection around them as they go to share the name of Jesus or go about their lives? Did they pray for judgment on their enemies and the Pharisees and Sadducees? No, they prayed that they would be bold no matter what and share Jesus. And that they would do wondrous works to help bring people to Jesus. See, this is what's cool. After they prayed, Acts 4.31, the place where they was meeting was shaken. 
Now, a building shaking or a ground shaking in the First Testament is a sign that God was in their midst. And so God shows up. Can you imagine if we were worshiping and in a moment when we just have some time in prayer and we say amen and this place shook? Do you think you would just like go home as normal and like go to the barbecue on Memorial Day weekend and eat your ribs, eat your barbecue and like, man, that was cool. That was pretty neat. No, I think you'd go back and be like, Guys, God did something awesome. He shook the building. And here's what they did. They go out, and it says again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. But it doesn't end there. We're going to continue on. Now, some people put this, some of these verses together with Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira, but I think it continues on a little bit and shows what that boldness did what this prayer together and being in the word together did. And 32 says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. You see, another way we can boldly live is we can boldly live sacrificially and selflessly for his mission. I mean, in this entire chapter, what we really want in a church, we want to see God move. We want to see his name proclaimed. We want to meet people's needs and, and really all of these schemes can be summed up, and Pastor Dan's going to talk more about these different cultures we want to create. We talked about a culture of generosity. They shared there was no needy among them. But it's not just money. They gave their time, their resources. We see they were a culture of justice because they met a need. They were a culture of proclamation, sharing Jesus' name boldly no matter what. And it could be said that also they were a culture of prayer. Rooted when things got hard, they didn't get scared, but they turned to God. All for what? What have we been saying at Journey? What do our sweatshirts say from Christmas? Is because they wanted to be a force for good. Because don't you want to see that? Don't you want to see God move in a mighty way? That there's probably something in your life or you know someone that if God doesn't show up, God doesn't do something, that person's not going to be healed. God doesn't do something, there's no way this person's track of life is going to go well. Because Jesus told us this, we shouldn't be surprised, John 14, 12. What I'm about to tell you is true. Anyone who believes in me will do the works I have done than I have been doing. In fact, they will do even greater things. That's because I'm going to the Father. Jesus, later in John chapter 16, tells us that, hey, in order for the Holy Spirit to come, which we've seen in Acts 4, I have to go. But do we really live that out like we believe that? J.D. Greer has a book I love. It's a great book on the Holy Spirit called Jesus Continued. And the tagline is this, the spirit inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. 
How often do we live? We'd rather have like Jesus standing here beside us and we forget that we have the Holy Spirit indwelt and also he wants to fill us up and do extraordinary things. The same spirit that we read about here in Acts 4, that Peter and John, this chapter just fires me up because they stood boldly. They shared his name and they couldn't help but tell, but then they go back and pray together and are in unity. That same spirit that filled the early church is the same spirit that fills us. But even more so, Romans 11 tells us this about the spirit. The spirit of the God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So the God who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your bodies. He will do this because of his spirit who lives in you. Not only the same spirit who worked among the early church is in you, but the same spirit who rose Jesus from the dead is inside of you. If you remember talking about being indwelled and filled with the Spirit, this is not something we can conjure up. We can't just go around asking the Spirit, hey, uh, just with nonchalantly, fill me up today. No, it has to be a cry from our heart. It has to really be the prayer of, we want more of God. Because there are several prayers that God really will always answer yes. Forgiveness of sins, yes, he will forgive. Lord, not my will, but your will be done, yes. Lord, I want more of you, yes. Not the blessings of God, but God himself. And he wants to fill us up so that we can do extraordinary things for his kingdom. Now, some of you might have seen an example of being filled with the Spirit as we kind of close the day is taking like a pitcher of water and pouring it into a cup. Anybody seen that illustration for being filled with the Spirit before? I didn't want to do it. I'd get water everywhere. But I think a, baby, a better illustration, because if we're filled and it's overflowing, then why do we need to be filled again like we see in the book of Acts? Well, I think a better example is a balloon. Now, you're going to be oohing and on here and saying, because it looks like this is a nasty black balloon, but it's not. It's actually a pretty color you'll see here in a second. But what's also cool is me blowing into the balloon. It's just like God filling up and blowing his breath, his spirit into us. All right. So here we have the balloon. Now... Let me ask you a question. Would you say this balloon is filled? Yes or no? Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are like, no, because that's a tricky question, right? I didn't ask if this balloon was filled to the capacity, but it is filled. The only thing in here is air. And when we become indwelt with the Spirit, I knew I'd have a hard time doing this. I did it like easy in my office. It was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. There we go. It's like, Crystal, you might have to come up here and help me tie this balloon. But it's full. But it's not filled to capacity. And when we come to salvation, when we come to follow Jesus, we're like this balloon, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But really what God wants, 
Oh, that was terrible. Now, some of you might be like that, right? We feel barely filled up, right? And he wants to not only fill us that first time, but he wants to draw us close. He wants to fill us again. Right? And then we grow. We get more capacity. That we cry out, God, no, we want to see you do it again. And he fills us up some more. I've got to be careful because I'm afraid if I get this too big, it's going to like pop on me and scare all the kids in here. No, he wants to keep filling us up. And here's the deal. He wants to keep filling us up. Filling us more with his spirit to do more for him. But here's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to stay just with that first little filling when you were saved and live your whole Christian life right here. And God says individually, but also as a church, I want to fill you up for so much more. I want you to live boldly so that my name can be shared. Because remember, I said, if you don't remember anything else today is this, God wants to fill the ordinary to empower them to do the extraordinary. So as the worship team comes, we're just going to have a time of prayer. I want to end it like the early church did. Because there's several ways you could be feeling to respond today. You might be saying, you know what? I'm here. I've been filled up when I was a, a believer I've been living off that the whole life, but Lord, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be bold and share your name and live for you. Some of you might be thinking, you know what? I might not even be filled with the Spirit. I might think I'm a Christian. I might grown up in church. I might know about who Jesus is, but... I'm scared to share my faith. I don't know what to say because maybe you've never really been filled in the first place. But church, I can promise you, God wants to do awesome things through journey, through his people in Jonesboro. The spirit's always moving. God is always moving. But the question is, are we gonna be obedient and follow him? So let's just take some time. I want you to... Close your eyes. You can spend time uh, doing this with your family, individually. I even encourage some of you who feel bold enough to, to pray out loud in just a moment. Maybe you want to come down to the steps. Or as the church, what we like to call the front of the stage sometimes is the altar. And the altar is back were used to put something to death. Maybe you just need to come lay something down to Christ. And maybe it is, you just need to lay down your life for the very first time. Whatever it is. Maybe you need to follow in obedience with baptism. You've been a believer. But getting up there, going under the water, that might scare you a little bit. 
but you need to be obedient and follow what God wants us to do so that you can share with others about how awesome he is. Whatever it is, however God leads you to respond, we're gonna spend some time in prayer. And as the spirit leads, then we'll finish up and praising his name, just like the early church did. May we go about this weekend, our lives, and live boldly and be filled with the Spirit. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you want to use us. You don't have to use us, but you want to. You love and you care for us. Father, we want more of you. We don't want to just see you move in a powerful way, Father. We want you. Fill us up for your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.